I have to uh, add uh, my agreement with Jeremy about VBS. It was amazing. But it always is. And just like we've already heard through Jeremy that uh, it, God has designed a kingdom that is very different than the world we live in. The world we live in says, you know, when you finally get what you want, you'll be happy. But God's way to happiness is giving what he's given you. And uh, that blessing continues on and on and on. And, and uh, the children that were blessed, bless their families, bless their friends. Uh, they blessed us. It, it, it's just an amazing thing to be a part of. But it always is. Whether it's VBS or working in the children's ministry or in the parking lot or as greeters or ushers or in the uh, uh, quest, uh, in any part, in any area, when you get involved and you start to give out the principle of God's kingdom, what you sow is what you reap. You know, we, we all want to harvest. We all want to be able to gain. But if you don't plant, you'll never harvest. Is that true? If there, was a, if there was a farmer out looking at his field every week and wondering why he didn't have a crop and, and somebody finally stopped and asked him, well, what did you plant? And he said, nothing. What would you think of him? It was a little off, right? Well, sometimes we're a little off because we're expecting a harvest and we're not planting anything. And so we, we need to really be aware that we have so many opportunities. Um, you know, Jeremy was talking about uh, Pastor Tommy Barnett and how he just found needs and met him. Uh, another pastor friend of mine, um, Jim Petro, uh, did a series on Fanami, find a need and meet it. And that's really what we're here for. We're here to be that, the body of Christ, the hands and the feet, the arms reaching out, the mouth speaking encouragement. And it's to believers and unbelievers everywhere. And we have that opportunity every day. I was driving down here this morning just praying and, and saying, God, I just thank you for your power being manifest. I thank you for uh, salvations and healings. I thank you for people being set free. I thank you for truth going forth and and illumination and revelation and transformation and I got done praying and and uh, I felt like Holy Spirit said why do you pray that just on Sunday and I was taken aback because I I'm expecting that to happen here expecting that to happen with people tuning in online but I haven't been so much expecting that every day but you know what Sunday is no different to God than any other day. And he wants to work just as powerfully on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday as he does on Sunday. And so we need to be, I need to be, maybe you're doing this, but I just am catching up with you. Uh, I need to be very, very aware that God wants to do these miraculous things everywhere we want to go. And, and he's there with us and he can do it. So um, today we are, we're believing for great things here. And, and I just want to pray before we, we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your plan. It's a plan that brings forth life, health, peace, joy, strength, victory. 
wisdom. Father, everything that pertains to life and godliness you're giving us. And so today, Father, help us to have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us, the church. And Father, help me to to speak what you want spoken the way you want it spoken. Father, I, I thank you for the privilege of addressing the church, Lord, your bride. And uh, I just thank you for your words that are life and health to those who find it today. We thank you, Father, for doing what only you can do and confirming your word with signs and wonders following. We pray this, giving all the praise and all the glory and all the honor to, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, while we were away, Debbie and I uh, had a, a time to be able to go see her sister in North Carolina. We also went down to see our family in Atlanta. We, um, we decided we didn't want to fly, so we drove, so we put 2,700 miles on the car. And uh, it was a great time for Deb and me to be together, and uh, it, it was wonderful. But it, there was nothing like coming back. We got back, and, and VBS was in full swing, and it was just amazing. It, it's neat to walk into a place that is alive with God, and I'm telling you, uh, God is, is in this place because God is in you, and you're allowing God to work. But while we were gone, um, we went to church, and I heard a, a great message uh, from Pastor Tony at Lanier Point Church in Atlanta, but I also heard two other great messages, one from Dave Parker Jr. on how important church is. And I, if you didn't hear it, you, you need to hear it because it'll, it'll encourage you and it'll challenge you. And then Judy, as always, whenever, whenever anybody's up here, God uses them in wonderful ways. And Judy, Judy shared about minding your mind. And I thought that was really, really a good title. Uh, but she had a poster in her message that she showed that thoughts become words and words become actions and actions become habits and habits become your character and your character becomes your destiny. Very, very true. And then she began to talk about joy, how joy is an inside work, an inside job. And, uh, you know, God wants you to have joy. God wants you to be glad. God wants you to prosper in your life. He, he, he wants you whole and healed and strong. And, and uh, Jesus, and what we've been, been learning about in John chapter 15, we've been learning about the importance of fruit bearing. And uh, in John chapter 15, verse 11, uh, in the Amplified Translation, uh, Jesus said this, I've told you these things that my joy and delight may be in you. Now, who's saying this? Oh, come on. Who? Jesus. Does Jesus ever lie? No. And yet, as Jeremy said, Jesus is supposed to be Lord of all, but we choose what part of our lives he's going to be Lord of. We give him access. We give him the opportunity to be who he is and bring what he has to our lives. And, and he's saying, I've told you these things that my joy and delight. Do you think there's any lack in Jesus' joy and delight? No. Uh, is there a lack of joy and delight in the world we live in? I know. It's an obvious question, but it, it bears asking because 
we look around and we see our world in such a state that is chaotic. People are so depressed. People are so overwhelmed. And yet, Jesus says these words. He says, I've told you these things. And who's he talking to? Disciples. Yeah, he's talking to the disciples. He's gotten them gathered together and he's talking to them and he's saying, I've told you these things so that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy and gladness would be a full measure, complete. When something is complete, it's lacking nothing. There's nothing more that can be added to it and, and overflowing. And so today, we need to realize what Jesus was teaching in John chapter 15. He was teaching because he wanted his followers, not just back then, but you here today, to be full of joy, full of gladness, not based on, on what, what you, you experience, but based on whose you are and what God is doing in you. And, and as God does what he does in us, he wants it to be overflowing. Jesus came to give us what kind of life? Abundant life. Not just life, abundant life, which is actually overflowing life. Why does, why does God want us to have overflowing life? Because God is always about more than just us. God wants to bless your life so that in blessing your life, your life becomes a blessing to other people. If that becomes the mode of operation for us as Christians, then wherever Christians are gathered, there's always going to be an abundance. Nobody will be in lack. And that's what we see in the early church, that when God had his way, people's abundance supplied other people's needs. Now, you may have needs today. Maybe you're struggling, but there are other people that are overflowing with joy, and that joy and that peace, that encouragement they can be in your life, if you'll allow them and if they'll allow themselves to connect with you and, and they can impart that joy, that gladness, that peace, that encouragement, that strength, that hope, then you don't have to do it all yourself. You know, very rarely are we on top of our game all the time, right? You know, there are days you get up and you don't hop out of bed and, and you're at 100%. Maybe you're just at 80%. It's like a marriage. You know, a lot of people think a marriage is a 50-50 partnership. It's not. Because if all I'm doing is looking to give 50%, and I'm not on top of my game, and I'm only given 30, and Debbie's given 50, all right, we have 80, but it's less than 100. But if I'm willing to give everything, and Debbie's willing to give everything, if a husband is willing to give 100%, 100% of the time, and a wife is willing to give 100%, 100% of the time, then the likelihood is you're going to have 100% most of the time. Because each one is going to balance out the other. We in the body of Christ... We have some great days and we have some challenging days. But on our challenging days, the reality is somebody else is having a great day. And they can help us rise up in the victory of Jesus. And, and so Jesus is saying, I, I am telling you these things that, 
my joy and delight will be in you, and your joy and gladness will be full, overflowing, complete. And, and as we go back and we look at what he said, some of the things are not at face value what we might say, you know what, that's going to make me really joyful. But you've got to understand God is looking for things to adjust in our lives so that we're going to be in line with him and his kingdom because this life is very short, but eternity is forever. And when we get to eternity, everything is absolutely, completely, 100% of the time done God's way because God's way is best. But we're practicing for eternity here. And if we can make that adjustment, we'll experience heaven on earth. And that's what God wants. God wants heaven to be revealed on earth. And the portals to reveal heaven on earth are you and me. And just as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It should be said of us, if you've seen us, you've seen Jesus. But I've got to tell you, there are times when people are looking at me and they're not seeing Jesus. So that means that there's room for improvement. There's room for adjustment in my life. And I believe all of our lives. And, uh, and so this, this, this fruit that we've been studying about, fruit bearing, uh, is, is really the character of Christ. And joy is part of it. Just like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of those things, who do they benefit? The fruit of the Spirit, who does it benefit? It does. It first benefits us. When you've got joy and peace and you're patient and kind and good, we're sowing some great seed. We're going to have a great harvest. But it doesn't exclusively benefit us. It benefits other people. You know, my wife benefits from me having the character of Christ. And the more I develop the character of Christ and God develops the character of Christ in me because I allow him to have his way, then she benefits from that because I'm not grouchy. You know, I'm patient and I'm kind. Please, ladies, don't hit your husbands. Um, you know, but, but, you know, Debbie sees a change, something that's happening, a transformation that's going on in my life because it should be going on in all of our lives all throughout our lifetime here because we never arrive here. The Bible says when we see him, we'll be like him. But until then, we are becoming more and more like Jesus because he's increasing and we're decreasing. And that's what God has for us. And sometimes we think, well, if, if I give everything over to him and if I become everything he wants me to be, then I really lose me. No, you become the, the you that God created you to be. That no one knows but God. Because the God version of you is amazing. And God is there to help all of us develop into that. Um, the fruit is not only the character of Christ in us, the joy and the peace, but it's also God honoring and God revealing actions and attitudes that bless others and bless God. Um, but this fruit development spiritually is, is like fruit being developed naturally. And that's why in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 5, Jesus said the things he said. He taught what he taught because 
it parallels natural and spiritual. And, and he said, I'm the, vi the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, we, we learn that that is, takes it away. It's not cut off. It's lifted up. He takes it away from it falling back into the dirt. So he lifts it up and repositions, redirects it. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Nothing. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. We hear God saying to us, without me you can do nothing. And we know we can do a lot of things. But just like in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, wrote that whatever you do, if it's not done in love, it amounts to nothing. It's not of eternal value. It won't last. And so unless we are allowing God, who is love, to guide us and to govern us, then what we do, oh, it's effort. It takes effort. It takes time. But it amounts to nothing in the sense of eternity. And so in this teaching, we understand that, the, that Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. I am the one that is the focal point. I'm the one that everything comes from. He, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the one that created everything. He holds everything together. And so... When we, we see this, he's the vine, the true vine, we're the branches, the father is the vine dresser. And so when, when we see this illustration, we understand that he's talking about a vineyard, a grape vineyard, and, and how this, this happens. And he gives us three stages of development because grapes don't grow one day not there, the next day they're all there. It takes seven years for a vine to come to maturity where it is productive to the point where it's, it's economical. But there's a lot of work. The reason why the Lord used the vine as an example is grapes are the one, one of the most intensive things to grow. It takes more effort and more attention than almost any other thing that can be grown. And it's just like us. We need a lot of, there needs to be a lot of effort and attention put into our growth. Um, we need to be attentive to what's going on in our lives. We need to put effort into it. You know, this is an uphill climb. We're going from glory to what? Glory. So it's uphill. And the last time I checked, you don't coast uphill. The only way you coast is downhill. It's easy to go downhill. But God has for us to to climb and, and see more glory than ever before. But uh, we had a worksheet. There are some still out there, but it, it dealt with the stages of fruit bearing because it's a partnership with God, a partnership with God. You know, we are willing partners instead of driven prisoners. You know, we used to be prisoners. We were slaves of sin. Sin drove us. The enemy drove us. We had no choice. It happened over and over again. But now we are in a willing partnership with God. And that's where, again, you heard this morning, Jeremy talked about 
whether we allow God into an area of our lives. God is not going to break down the door. The enemy will try and break down doors. The enemy will try and get into places that we don't want them, but God loves us too much and respects us too much to move into areas that, that we aren't inviting him into. And he knows what's going on. There's nothing hidden to him. But even though he knows what's going on and he knows it's destroying our lives, he won't make us change. That change has to come out of a willing heart that trusts God and is uh, uh, willing to adjust. But the first stage is no fruit to fruit, and this is about requires God's lifting. He realigns and repositions us. He lifts us out of the sin. He frees us from sin. When we receive Christ as our Lord, we're freed from sin. But how many of you know sin doesn't stop in our lives? Just because we're saved doesn't mean we'll never sin again. As a matter of fact, we find that sometimes it's easier for us to sin than ever before because we feel more pulled towards it, but we don't have to. But that, that lifting of God, um, it's, it's about a sanctified life, a, a pure life. God is looking for our lives to become more and more pure. The Bible tells us to be holy as he is holy, and that's a challenge. But if God told us to do it, there is a way to do it, but it's not by our effort or might, it's by him. And, and again, this requires us to allow God to reposition us, realign us, just like a vine. It's got to be wrapped around and attached to something that keeps it out of the dirt. The only way we stay out of the dirt of sin is keeping attached to God. You know, it's the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It's the grace of God that saved us. And that grace is so important for our everyday life. And so this first aspect is, is about removing the act of sin in our lives. And God will, will lift us, but how he does it is we found out in Hebrews 12, verse 5, he, he chastens us and rebukes us. And, and again, we, we learned about the fact that chastening isn't what we think it is. We have a very negative connotation to the word chasten. But in reality, the definition of chastening in the Bible is to educate, to inform, to educate, to tutor, to mentor, uh, to, to um, let me find this in my, my notes, to tutor, to mentor, to train, to discipline, to correct, and, and so when we are new in a new kingdom, if we were to go to an, another country, we would have to learn their ways. We would have to learn their language. We would have to learn their customs. We would have to learn all sorts of things that were foreign to us. And if we were going to live among them, we would need to do that in a way that was in, in line with what they do. And it's the same way with us. We come into a new kingdom. And all of us have to learn. We need to be educated. We need to be informed. We need to be tutored and mentored and, and trained and disciplined and corrected so that we can stay in line with where we're living. You know, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. This is not our home. We should live our lives not thinking that this is the best that, that we can get. 
This is as close to hell as you, a believer, will ever get to. And that's scary in itself because some of the things that go on in this world, I can't imagine how bad hell is. But we have to realize there are people that don't know Jesus, and this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get until they come to, to, to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. And we're here to help them with that. But that fruit, no fruit to fruit, it takes God's lifting. It takes us educating and mentoring and discipling and training and making adjustments. Uh, the second one is fruit to more fruit, and that requires God's pruning. And the last one is more fruit to much fruit. And when it says much fruit, it's talking about the maximum that is possible. Now, who, who produces the maximum that's possible? Only God. God's the only one that can get anything perfect all the time. And so if we're going to have the maximum done in our life, it's going to be God working. But it's going to require our partnership. Again, God, God does the pruning for fruit to more fruit, but we have to choose to abide. That's where our choice comes in. But again, it's a partnership. And, and so today we're going we're gonna to look at the second phase the second stage, fruit to more fruit. And there's a danger because when we have no fruit and we start to see fruit produced in our life, we could get the same mentality that the church in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea had. You know, they were, they were, they were content. They thought they were something that they were not. They thought they were rich and, and uh, prosperous and had no need of anything. And the Lord said to them, no, you're poor, blind, naked, and miserable. But they were content where they were. They thought they had it all. And, you know, we, we sometimes get lulled into thinking, well, enough is enough. Now, I'm bearing fruit, God. Or we compare and we say, you know what, I'm a lot more fruitful than they are. Hello? The only direction we ever are allowed to compare is to the Lord, to what his word says. The Bible warns us, don't compare yourselves with yourselves. It's a trap. And so God has for us to, to uh, not just have fruit, but move to the second stage, fruit to more fruit. And then even at that, he's got even more. Because the more fruit produced in our lives, the more people we're going to be able to impact and impart to. Um, but I have a question for you today. What is God to you? I know we say Jesus is Lord, and what does Lord mean? King of all, master. But do our lives really reveal that he is king of all, master. Because I, I, this question started to rise up in me while I was away, and I didn't know what it was about, but I, I came to realize that I needed to ask this question each day. Is God essential, or is he just an add-on? Now, be careful. Be careful. 
Because if God is essential, that means he's of ultimate importance. You can't live without him. Now, the truth is, and the right answer is, God is essential. There's nothing more important in our lives than God. But the question I have for us today is, in inspecting our life and looking at how we live our life, are we living in a way that reveals that we can't do it without God? Or is he somebody that we occasionally involve in our life? Is he an add-on? Because in the Bible, we see all sorts of people that would just add one God to another God, to another God, to another God, to another God, to another God. They found about the God of the uh, uh, Hebrews, and they added him to them. And God is not a God among God, gods. God is the God above all other so-called gods. But when we live like God is an add-on or an addition... We don't involve him in everything. You know, we pull him out and, and invite him to be involved. Or, crazy as it sounds, we command him to be involved. God, you've got to fix this. God, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. But the likelihood is, and I found this in my life, when I lived like God was an add-on, I would make all my decisions, and when my decisions didn't turn out the way I had planned for them to turn out, then I would call God in to fix what I had done. That is not living a life that reveals God is essential. Instead of involving God on the back end, I needed to come and involve God on the beginning and through the course of everything. And it is not something that is familiar to any of us. Because we tend to run our own lives. We tend to do what we think is right and best. And there's uh, two Proverbs that says that there's a way that we think as human beings is good or right, whose end is the way of death. And yet we keep falling into that trap. I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose. I, I, I know this is going to work out. I know this is good. And we don't involve God from the beginning. And we get so widespread in our pursuits and our priorities. One of the things that I am sure all of us have experienced, we've even spoken I'm so busy. There are so many things going on. I'm so tired. I remember telling God, you know, I don't know if you tell God things, but sometimes I tell God things because I think he doesn't know. But I, I've told him at times in the past that, God, you know, if, if I could get it all done if you'd just give me a few extra hours. You know, God is so patient with me. He is so kind and loving and merciful. And, and as I continued to tell him how I, I needed just a few more hours in the day to get everything done, I became very aware that he was trying to let me know that 
He created 24 hours a day because that's what needed to be. And I have more than enough time for all the things that he has for me to do. But I'll never have enough time to do all the things he has to do and I want to do and somebody else wants me to do. And so I've got to, I've got to start calling. I've got to start cutting out some things. Because you can't do it all. You can't have it all. But you can have what God has for you if we will just allow God to be God. And that's where in, in, in this, this life we live, we have to live as if God were essential because he is. And if he's not, then we're going to live a life that is below the level that God has intended. And that's where in this second, second aspect of, of uh, this portion of Scripture in verse 2 of John 15, he said, every branch that does not bear fruit he lifts up, and every branch that bears fruit he what? Prunes. Now, when, when something is pruned, what happens? Yeah, there are things that are cut back. We have this, this really beautiful little tree in our, our yard, and it has these gorgeous blooms. They're big. They look like balls. Uh, they're white, and with the green leaves, it's just fantastic. And it probably has 40 or 50 of these things on it at this point. And yet what we were told by the people that sold us this tree is at the end of the growing season, when everything gets brown, what you need to do is you need to cut it all back aggressively. And so I, I, the first year I cut it back some, and I took a picture and I said, is this what you're talking about? And the guy said, no. He said, you got to cut it way back. And I was like, I thought I had killed the tree. And, and he said, the more you cut it back, the more it's going to have the strength and the focus to be able to produce even more blooms. It's going to be healthier. That made no sense to me initially. But then I looked at the apple tree that is fairly close to it, and the apple tree doesn't produce many apples because out of the trunk of the apple tree are all these little branches that grow out of it here and there and everywhere. It's like this it almost looks like a cactus. It has so many of these branches growing out of it. And each one of those branches take nutrients and resources from the tree that should go to the fruit but is now going to another source, and that's why it doesn't produce the fruit that it should. It's the same way in our lives. We have to be pruned. And who is the vine dresser? It's not you. It's not somebody else. It's God. God's the one that prunes. God the Father is the vine dresser. And just as in a natural setting, the vine dresser walks through the vineyard, lifting up the branches that are growing and that are, are falling back into the dirt. And he looks for all these other branches because grapevines, by their very nature, want to grow long instead of producing fruit. And want more and more and more and new. And isn't that a lot like us? 
Aren't we drawn, don't we desire new instead of developing depth in what's already there? And more instead of the, the uh, richness that God has for us to develop in our lives? You know, it's important that we realize that this isn't just something that goes on in our lives. We, we struggle. Humans struggle with being really divided. Trying to do everything. Trying to get everything. And, and you know the Bible in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 tells us that no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. Now, this is God's word. This is absolutely true. As much as we may want to believe, well, you know, I can do it. I can, I can serve too. God's word tells us that we can't. We're going to serve one. And we've got to make a choice. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve ourselves? and our wants and desires, and, and pursue our dreams and hopes. We're going to serve the enemy. We're going to serve somebody else in our life that, that that's what they want us to do. Or are we going to serve God? Because you can't. You can't serve two. You definitely can't serve three or four or five. We're going to serve one, and we've got to choose. Because if we don't choose, it'll be chosen. Because God won't force his will on us, but the enemy will. And if I don't choose to serve God, I'm going to end up serving the enemy. By the very nature of how he works and how God works. God is so loving, he will never force his way, his will, or his kingdom on anybody. But it's available to everybody. But he is allowing each one to choose, just like he allows each one of us to choose every day. We've come into his kingdom. We can proclaim Jesus as Lord or Master. But does he enforce his lordship on us every day? I've never had him force his lordship. He'll inform me. He'll instruct me. He'll mentor me. He'll teach me. He'll discipline me. He'll correct me, but he'll never force me. And that's why sometimes this seems so difficult. I just wish God would make me do it. But God loves us too much to make us do it, and the enemy hates us so much, he's going to drive us to do things, to destroy us. And in that dynamic, between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of love. And in essence, the kingdom of hate. The enemy hates everyone and everything, and he's out to destroy everything. That's his end goal, to steal, kill, and destroy. And God's end goal is life and life more abundant. But God, in his wanting us to have life and life more abundant has allowed us the freedom to choose. And the enemy in wanting to steal, kill, and destroy will take every opportunity to entice us 
to deceive us, to drive us in a direction that's destructive. And we have to be aware of what's going on. And it's hard for us to do that. We don't understand things the way God does, and that's why we need God to prune us. We need God to start cutting things away in our lives. So there is a focus. There is a, an intensity and an intentionality of us pursuing God. God has for your life to change the world. And just like water or light, if you have water in a real thin film, it's not going to have much impact. But if you concentrate that water into a raging river, it'll take boulders down with it. If you have light that's just kind of everywhere, it's nice. It does some things. But if you have light that's concentrated and focused, what's that? It's a laser. And the power there is amazing. The power that God has for the church is to be amazing. And it's because it's focused. It's not we're, we're divided among a lot of things. We're spread out over a lot of things. If we do a lot of things, the reality is we're probably not going to do any of them really spectacularly. But if we do a couple of things or one thing and concentrate on being and doing that, it's going to be impacting. And this was shown in Jesus' life. He, he didn't serve two. Jesus served one. And if it was good enough for our Lord, it ought to be good enough for us. He's our model. And we, and we see... Well, before we get there, we're going to look at Joshua. Joshua 24, verse 14 through 15. Joshua was... Uh, stepping aside, and, and Israel again had gone after other gods, and, and he said, now therefore, fear the Lord. And that's honor and, 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 and respect and yield to him. Serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, Choose for yourselves. You know, God's saying this. Choose. Make a choice. This day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will what? Who are you serving? I know we have to work. I know we have to do a lot of things. But the Bible tells us everything we do, we should do unto the Lord, to the glory of God. Work as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, if, 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 if you coach, if you teach, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And Jesus did that. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said this, and this is in the Amplified, I'm able to do nothing from myself independent of my own accord, but only as I am taught by God 
and as I get his orders, even as I hear, I judge, I decide, as I'm bidden to decide, as the voice comes to me, Holy Spirit, so I give decision. And my judgment is right, just and righteous, because I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. Now, if anybody, if anybody should have had liberty to make whatever choices they want to make, don't you think Jesus would be the one? He doesn't make bad choices. But he was not going to rely on himself he wasn't going to do what he thought was best. He wasn't going to do what pleased him. And I'm telling you, the reason why he impacted the world the way he did was because he was so submitted to the Father. The Bible says, submit yourself, therefore, to God, and then you'll be able to resist the enemy, the devil, and he'll flee. A lot of the challenges in our lives as Christians have come because of our choice to do our own thing, not to submit to God. And if we want to clear up a lot of the challenges that we're dealing with, look back and determine, was it God that directed you to do that? Because if it was, then hold the course, stay the course. If it wasn't, then repent and return to God. But Jesus said, I don't do anything of myself. I don't trust myself, I trust my Father. I don't rely on myself. I rely on my Father. And God has for us. If Jesus did that, we need to even more. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Again, I'm just trying to help you understand that we have an example. He is our Lord. We're supposed to be followers of him, and this is how he lived his life. And if he lived his life this way, we definitely need to live our life this way, where we are completely dependent and trusting and reliant and resourcing God, not everybody else's opinion and everybody else's idea, including our own. You know, even the Bible says man plans his way, but God directs his step. That means that we make our plans, but we need to always involve God in our plans. Because without God in our plans, we don't know what's going to happen. But with God in our plans, we know it's all going to work out for good. And in verse 29, he said, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I, what? Occasionally. When I agree, I always do the things that please him. See, sometimes we don't get answers to our prayers because we're asking God, but God knows when we ask, we already have in our hearts something that we want to do, and we want God just to confirm that. The Bible says when you seek him with your whole heart, not with predetermined, this is what I want you to tell me, God. Because if God tells us what he wants and it's not what we want to do or are willing to do, then immediately we fall into rebellion. And rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. And witchcraft is just about control. And one of the things that we as human beings tend to fall into is we want to control everything. 
And this is a newsflash. There's very little any of us can control. But God can. If we give it to him, God can do things that no one else can do. Then in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, he called the people to himself and his disciples also, and he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. It's the first step. First step in following Christ. First step in allowing God to bring forth great fruit in our life. He's going to have to prune things in our life. There are going to be things that are going to be cut out of your life that you're going to say, no! God, I want that. God, I need that. I'm going to tell you something. The only thing you need, the only essential in every one of our lives is God. Until we come to that reality, we're deceived. If we think we need God and this person, we're deceived. We need God and this amount of money. We're deceived. We need God and this job. We're deceived. All we need is God. He gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Every good and perfect gift come from him. There's no one that does what he does. No one has better intentions, plans, designs, and desires for your life than God. Not even you. And that's why we need to trust God. We need to turn to God. We need to be willing to deny ourselves. The second aspect of, of God pruning is about dealing with self. You know, the first aspect is dealing with sin. Until sin is dealt with in our lives, there's not a lot of progress we can make. But once God starts dealing with sin and sin starts coming out of our lives... Then the next thing, the next big thing in our life that God is going to deal with is self, is us about us. Because we're not what we will be. But God will help us become that. Whoever decides to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Until we deny ourselves, we'll never embrace the cross because that's exactly what happened with Jesus in the garden. Remember Jesus in the garden praying? God, let this cup pass away. He had his desire. He knew what he wanted and what he didn't want. And he had to deny himself and say, ah, but not my will. That's denying himself. But your will be done. We'll never do his will until we deny ourselves. Because the only will of God will do is what we agree with. And many times we don't agree with God's will because we don't see the end. All we see is what, what we can understand. Jesus saw the pain and the suffering and the shame of the cross, but he was willing to deny himself and go through it. Take up his cross and follow me. Until we deny ourselves, until we embrace God's will, we can't follow him. Each one builds on the, the last, just like... In this teaching of Jesus in John chapter 15, until we begin to get sin removed from our lives. Only when that's, that's being done. And it's a lifelong process. This is not something we do for a season and then, okay, all sin's gone. Because we'll struggle with sin all our days in the earth. There's going to be temptation that pulls us. 
The Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he'll arise. And so we'll struggle with this, but we should be continuing to, to put away sin, allow God to lift us up and reposition us, educate us. And if, if in his chastening is educating and informing and instructing, in tutoring and mentoring, in discipling, and, and in correcting and training, if that doesn't work, it's, we didn't go into it much, but then he rebukes. And a rebuke is a strong warning. When he rebukes us, he doesn't rebuke us because he's mad at us. It's because he loves us. And he's warning us very strongly, if you keep going this direction, there's going to be a price to pay. Because sin exacts a price. The price that sin brings is death. And God doesn't want that in any of our lives. That's why Jesus died. So that we could be free from that. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. I just want to read verse 34, the first part of that, in a couple other translations. One is uh, God's word. For those who follow me must say no to the things they want and pick up their crosses and follow me. In the Phillips translation, it says, if anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all rights to himself. If Jesus is our Lord, then he's the only one that has a say. Now, in reality, we can, we can say anything we want. We can do anything we want. But not everything we do is going to be beneficial. In the New Life version, it says, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must give up himself and his own desires. And the voice says, If any one of you wants to follow me, you will have to give yourselves up to God's plan. When we give ourselves up to God's plan, it means that we've got to give up what God tells us to give up. There are some relationships some of you have that you need to give up. God wants to prune out of your life because these people are not bringing you closer to God. They're not helping you to become more godly. And we can't serve God and somebody else. There are some habits and actions and attitudes that we have that God needs to prune out of our lives. And he's not just there hacking away. Whatever God begins to work in, he is there to work with us. Because with God, all things are possible. He's at work if we're willing to let him in us, to will and to do his good pleasure. You know, the pruning process is, is very difficult for us because it hurts. But there is a pain that brings gain. Most of you saw me over the time that I was struggling with my back. And I was in really intense pain. And I, didn't, I was doing my best not to show it. And I realized I didn't do a very good job of it. Because after, after I went through the surgery and the healings occurred, people have said, man, you look so much better. And I thought, it was back here. And they said, no, your face, everything, it's, it's, you just have changed so much. 
And I want you to know the surgery was painful. The healing was painful. But there's two different types of pain. One pain was continuing to break me down. The other pain was moving me towards wholeness. When God prunes, it's a pain that's moving you towards wholeness. To be stronger and better than ever before, but it's still painful. And if you have a mentality and a perspective the way a lot of people in the world do, I, I don't want pain, I'll do anything to stay out of pain, then you're never going to allow God to begin to prune you. And one last thing before we close. One of the big problems with us needing pruning in our lives is knowing the difference, not between evil and good, because we know what's evil, and we know we shouldn't be doing evil. But like the book and the study we did in this church, the difference between good and God. And there is definitely a difference. We're going to look at that next week, like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, God is good all the time. But everything that looks good is not God. And we need to have God to help us know the difference. Because there are a lot of good things. But what they're doing is they're drawing away the resources and the time and the focus and, and, and our love and affection from God. And we're told we're supposed to love God. The great commandment, love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And it's an amazing thing when he says all. He means all. So how can we love our neighbor? Because when we love God, when we give him ourselves completely, we give him our love, our devotion, our trust completely, he multiplies it back to us so then we can in turn not give our love, that's flawed and frail to the people around us, we can give the love that he gives us, his perfect love. That perfect love that casts out all fear. That perfect love that, that believes the best of the people around us, doesn't count as suffered wrong, doesn't demand its own way, is, is filled with fruit because we're allowing him to be our all in all. Today, we just need to be honest with God and realize. Maybe repent and say, God, you know, I've said you're essential, but I'm not living like I can't live without you. I do all sorts of things without you. And Father, I, I right now want to confess that I have done that and I'm prone to do it. And I ask you to help me recognize it before I go too far. Help me realize that with every breath I take, I'm dependent on you. And just as dependent as I am on air being present, the air that you keep around this planet, I'm just as dependent and needful of you in every decision and every action I take. 
Father, there's a new and living way we're supposed to walk in. Help us to recognize it. Help us to realize that, in, in, Lord, in you we live and move and have our being. That we can't disconnect from you and, and expect to have what you've planned and prepared and provided. And Father, help us to, not in a legalistic, regimented way, but help us to relate to you and interact with you as in a way that we would with another human being because you're with us more fully than any other human being has ever or will ever be. You're more interested and you're more able. Help us to be truly living and moving and having our being in you. And help us to be willing to allow your pruning process to happen in our lives. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Remember that there is a prayer a week from tomorrow. Uh, it's a great time. Uh, if you haven't been baptized since you believed on Jesus as your Lord, um, sign up for the baptism. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing to witness, but it's an amazing thing to experience. And I still haven't corralled him, but I'm still looking at John testifying of how God impacted his life in the baptism last year. This week, God has a great week for you. God has plans for you to be impacted by him, but also to impact others. So be prepared. May not be in your schedule and in your time frame and your way, but his way is always better than ours. Amen. And I just want to pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children. I thank you, Father, for your presence with us. You are with us everywhere. The God that created the universe, seen and unseen, is abiding in us by the Spirit of God that hovered over the face of the waters when creation began. The Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. The Spirit of grace, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of life lives in us. Father, help us to live a supernatural life, an extraordinary life that would be a witness to the people around us and they would marvel at how could that possibly be you? And then we, as the disciples were, were people were puzzled about them. They were unlearned men, but they realized they had been with Jesus. Father, help our lives reveal we have been with Jesus and we are with Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for opportunities and awareness of the opportunities and trusting you to impart to us what's needed in those times to impact to heal a hurt to meet a need for all those around us that you love and we thank you father for this in jesus name everyone said amen, amen. have a great week